In many ways, I think that the days in which we are living are a lot like the days of Elijah. The culture that we're living in today is embracing anything and everything except God. We have largely, in our own country, turned our back on God. We are living in the days of Elijah. A week or two ago, a church member said to me, right here in, in, the, in the aisle, a, a church member said to me a week or two ago, Pastor, our country needs a prophet. He said, the Lord has put that on my heart, and I'm praying really hard about that because we need a prophet to turn our nation back to God. The very next day, I randomly picked a book off my bookshelf, just something to read. In the introduction of the book, the author said this, and I quote, The need of the hour is for a prophet, for a people who will not settle for status quo. We need a prophet to call us to revival, one who cares little for what people think, one who will get alone with God and say what God says without fear of man or the consequences. Then he said this, God sends prophets just before he sends judgment. God sends prophets just before he sends judgment. If judgment is coming, and I believe it is, then we'd better start praying for a prophet and heeding his words before it's too late. End quote. Elijah was a prophet like that. And so this summer, we're going to spend the next six weeks letting this prophet speak to our hearts. Letting this prophet speak to our church. Letting this prophet speak to each of us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced my friend was right. We do need a prophet in our country. Many Christians today really have no clue what a critical hour we're living in. Many Christians today really have no clue what's happening in society right now. Michael Catt, a pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church, wrote these words, and again I quote, he said, the only way we can overcome the anarchy apathy, and fleshly attitudes in our culture and in our churches is to begin seeking the Lord. It's interesting to me that he wrote those words 10 years ago, and yet they sound so relevant. And if they were true in 2010, they are certainly true in 2020. So over the next six weeks, we're going to listen to the prophet of God as he speaks to the people of God from the word of God. Um, we're going to be asking the Lord to do a fresh work of God in our midst. So let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. This is going to be kind of an introductory message today. Let me tell you a little bit about Elijah. First of all, Elijah is a well-known prophet. You know of that name, probably. It's interesting that even though you may know very little about him, you know the name. You may, not, you, you may have a Bible story or two in mind about Elijah. You may remember something from Sunday school, but you know the name. He is a well-known prophet. It's interesting, though, he only appears in six chapters in the Old Testament. His whole story, his whole life story is captured in six chapters in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 17 through Second Kings chapter 2. Someone said it this way, said, When Elijah departed earth, his legacy remained. And I think that's true, and you'll see that as we look at the Word of God over the next six weeks. But he was a well-known prophet. But more than that, I want to talk to you about this. Elijah was also a significant prophet. That's where I want to camp out for a little bit as we have this kind of introduction to this great prophet of God. In fact, I want to show you how significant Elijah is. 
not Elijah was. I want to show you how significant Elijah is. Did you know that the Old Testament ends talking about Elijah? The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And the final chapter of Malachi, the last two verses of Malachi, talk about Elijah. We're going to put it here on the screen. You might need to open your Bible if you can't read that from where you are. The last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4 and 5. But I wanted to put it on the screen because I especially want the folks at home to be able to focus on these words. And we'll see how they're played out throughout Scripture. So here's what it says. Elijah, or I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah. This is how the Old Testament ends. This is how significant this prophet is. The last thing we see in the Old Testament is this promise from God. And here's what he says. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And then it goes on to say, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. See, before God, sends a prophet, before God sends judgment, He sends a prophet. And if we don't heed the words of the prophet, then He sends judgment. But remember these words here. The Bible says in the last verse of the Old Testament, He, Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That was a prophetic utterance, if you will. And we'll see in just a few moments that these words of prophecy really were a reference to John the Baptist. That these words, in the last book of the Old Testament, yes, they talk about Elijah, but they're really a prophetic utterance to John the Baptist. If that's confusing to you, I understand. Just stay with me and walk with me through the Scripture, and you'll see how it all unfolds. Now, after these words were written, 400 years later, uh, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament is called the intertestamental period. It lasted for 400 years. It's sometimes called the silent years, the 400 silent years. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, period of 400 years. And when the New Testament period began, guess who the Jewish people were looking for? How did the Old Testament end? The Old Testament ended talking about Elijah. I'm going to send Elijah to you. So when the New Testament era began, guess who they're looking for? They're looking for Elijah. Oh, by the way, did you know that even in today's time, in every Orthodox home, at Passover time, even today, they put a chair out for Elijah. There's an empty seat at the cedar. It's the chair of Elijah. And there's a certain point in that process where they go open the door, and they invite the spirit and the prophet Elijah to come join them. And there's a cup for Elijah. The Jewish people are still anticipating the promise this promise to be fulfilled. Now, we're going to walk through the Bible because this is how the Old Testament ends, but let me show you how the New Testament begins. Walk through the Bible with me. Luke chapter 1. Walk through the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 16. In this story... This is about the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. And here's what we, we read. An angel tells an old priest named Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would have a son. Here's what we read. Beginning in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. 
many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord. Watch this. In the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So when the angel announced to Zechariah that he and his wife would have a son. The one that we call John the Baptist. He said he will be the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. Instantly Zechariah knew what that meant. Now when John the Baptist grew up. This was foretold before his birth, but when John the Baptist was later born and he grew up, he became a man and began his ministry, there was a great speculation about who he really was. There was great speculation about his identity. And so the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Look in, chapter, look in John chapter 1. I hope you're walking with me through the scriptures and those walking, uh, watching at home. Hope you have your Bible out because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Hope you have something to take notes with as well. Give you a lot of references to put down in your notes and in your Bible. John chapter 1. Beginning in, um, beginning in verse 21. This, this or verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. They're, they're coming to ask him, who are you? There's something significant about you. Who are you? I am not the Christ, he said. Verse 21, they ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? See, that 400-year promise is still hanging in the air. They're still wondering. Well, there's something different about you. There's something special about you. If you're not Messiah, are you Elijah? Matthew chapter 11. I know we're looking at a lot of Scripture, but we're just going to trace this idea through the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus later speaks about John the Baptist. He later explains a little bit about John the Baptist. John, or Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. He says in verse 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now skip down to verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Jesus said, oh, by the way, let me tell you one other thing. He is the Elijah, the one that Matthew talked about. When the Old Testament ended, he is the Elijah that was to come. So the whole point so far is, yes, Elijah was a well-known prophet, but Elijah is a very significant prophet. Now, while you're in Matthew, let's go over to chapter 17. Or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. You've heard me use this scripture a lot, but... One time Jesus asked his, his disciples, his followers, who do people say that I am? They were in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? And look what he said in verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Well, that's kind of the common opinion here, that you're either John the Baptist or you're Elijah. Again, that's always hanging in the air. This promise, this prophecy of Elijah. And when people were watching Jesus, some said, he must be Elijah. Look in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. 
the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's start at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Then there appeared before them Moses and who, church? And Elijah, talking with Jesus. Now that's significant in and of itself, but let's skip down to verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. Which would have been extremely hard to do. Guys, just don't say anything about this, okay? Just wait until my resurrection. Just don't say anything. They won't understand. Just don't say anything about this. That would have been extremely hard to do. Let's keep reading. See what it says. Um, I've lost my place. What verse was I in? Nine, thank you. Verse 10, the disciples ask him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? You see, they're still thinking about this. They're still trying to process what they've seen. They've seen Elijah on the mountain talking and Moses. They still remember this promise made in Malachi. They remember what they've been taught in rabbinical schools about Elijah coming. And so they say, well, let me ask you a question. Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first. And Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Now, the one that really got me was in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We're almost done walking through these scriptures. Matthew chapter 27 It's the record of Jesus dying on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 46. Let's start at verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over uh, all the land. Verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 47, very interesting. When some of them standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Verse 49, or 48. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Are you beginning to see that Elijah was indeed a very significant prophet? A very significant prophet in the Old Testament and even in the days of the New Testament, hundreds of years later, they were still talking about Elijah. Now, that's what makes the last verse we're going to look at today so intriguing. You see, James, in James chapter 5, verse 17, says this about Elijah. Look on the screen. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man... Just like us. Now, if James had said, Peter was a man just like us, I could understand that because Peter often got things wrong. Peter said some things and made some monumental mistakes, said some good things and made some monumental mistakes, and I can relate to that because I've done that too. If he had said, Peter was a man just like us, I said, yeah, I get that. Or if he had said, David is a man just like us, 
I could understand that too because David wrote a lot of the Psalms and some of the Psalms he's praising God and some of the Psalms he's questioning God. Some of the Psalms he's, he's happy and some of the songs he's sad and, and I can get that because I'm like that too sometimes. But James says Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah is one of the Bible's most dramatic characters and yet the Bible seems to indicate two things about him. First is that Elijah had an extraordinary relationship with God. And secondly, it seems to indicate that Elijah was very, very ordinary. What, what do you mean, James, when you say Elijah was a man just like us? Well, it simply means this. It means that he had the same physical and mental and spiritual limitations that you and I have. He had the same limitations that you and I struggle with. He was a man just like us. Or the New Living Translation says it this way, Elijah was as human as we are. See, sometimes we, we look at the Bible characters and think, well, that's an amazing person, but I could never be like that. That's an amazing situation, but I could never do that. Those people in the Bible are, are our heroes, and they're way above us. They're so different from us. And James says about one of the most significant, dramatic prophets in the Bible. James says, let me tell you something about Elijah. He was just like us. He was just as human as we are. Now, when I look at this statement, I have to say to myself, either James was lying or he was telling the truth. Of course, he wasn't lying. The Word of God is truth. Every bit of the Word of God is truth. He was not lying. But if he's telling the truth, if Elijah was indeed a man just like us, a person just like us, then that means that there's a powerful lesson there for all of us. And here's the lesson. God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. That's what we're going to be learning over the next six weeks. God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. Over the next five weeks, as we look at different things that Elijah did, I'm hoping this phrase is going to be lodged in your mind. That Elijah was a man just like us. I may say that phrase to you every single week as we go through this series. Because you're going to be looking at some incredible things that Elijah did. And yet, the Bible emphasizes to us, yet he was a man, he was a person just like us. As I thought about Elijah this week, I thought about my spiritual hero, Billy Graham. And I realized Billy Graham was a man just like us. And yet, we recognize that there was something different about him, don't we? He was as human as you are, and yet there was something very different about him. He, he was flesh and blood just like you are, just like I am, and yet God used him to do things that he didn't use others to do. Someone asked Billy Graham about his popularity and his remarkable success, and this was his reply, and I quote, he said, that's one of the first things I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, because I don't know, I'm the most ordinary person in the world, I'm amazed at it all. To me, it's just God. James was making this same point about Elijah in James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was the most ordinary person in the world, and yet God did extraordinary things through him. An interesting thing that, about Elijah, and we'll see this next week as, as we get into the Old Testament story, 
when the Old Testament opens and starts to tell us about this man named Elijah, it, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, he just kind of steps onto the stage of history. We don't know a whole lot about him. We know that, that he was a Tishbite, that, that he lived in that area, and that's all the Bible says about it. doesn't tell us anything about his upbringing, doesn't tell us anything about his family, doesn't tell us really anything about how he grew up or commitments that he made as a young boy or as a young man. doesn't say anything. He just kind of steps onto the stage of history, and then all of a sudden he leaves in a whirlwind, and we look at his life and we say, how do you explain that? How, how do you ever understand that? And yet, he was a man just like us. What is it that made his life so powerful and so effective? If you haven't turned to James yet, I'll, I want you to turn to James chapter 5. I want to show you something around that verse. Elijah was a man just like us. James chapter 5. Verse 16, James is talking about the, the power of prayer, the value of prayer. And this is what he says in verses 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous man is what, church? Powerful and effective. And then, to, to illustrate... This righteous man that he's referring to in verse 16. He says that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. We'll talk about that next Sunday, Lord willing. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced its crops. Here's the reason that God can use an ordinary man. And do extraordinary things. James refers to Elijah as a righteous man. An ordinary man, yes, but a righteous man. And when you understand what that word righteous means, then you begin to understand the secret behind Elijah's life. Then you begin to understand why he was able to do so many amazing things. The Greek word righteous in James chapter 5 verse 16 refers to a person who is living in accord with God's standards. That is, that they're living in the will of God. They're obedient to the Word of God. It's referring to somebody who has a relationship with God that is ongoing. It's referring to somebody who's not just going to church. They're not just kind of putting in their time, but, but they have this ongoing relationship with God. God is changing their lives. They're, they're a righteous man or a righteous woman because they're obedient to the Word of God and living in the will of God. That they have this relationship with the Lord. And James says that was Elijah. Elijah was a righteous man. I've got two words for you to summarize that before I close. To kind of summarize the life of Elijah. And I use these two words very carefully because I have studied his life. And these two words have come to the surface of, as I have studied his life. You'll see it again and again and again in his life. This is what makes him a righteous man. First of all. It's the word obedient. Next week, as we look at God's word together in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's three times in that, first, in that chapter where God commands him to do something and the Bible says, and he obeyed. And he obeyed. And he obeyed. 
Whatever it was God was telling him to do, he had this spirit about him where he was obedient. Can I say to you that God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things when they're willing to be obedient to God? Doesn't it make sense that the opposite of obedience is disobedience or sin? And if we're not being obedient to God, then we're living in such a way that God can't use us. Elijah was a man just like us. Human as we are. But he had a spirit about him that wanted to obey God. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you have that spirit in you that wants to obey God? Do you have that desire within you that wants to obey God? And I don't mean to obey God when it's easy. I mean to obey God, period. To obey God regardless of what He says, regardless of where He sends you, regardless of what He asks you to do. You have this desire to obey God. That's what makes you a righteous man or a righteous woman. And that's what positions your life so that you can do, God can do extraordinary things through an ordinary person when we're obedient. And then there's a second word that I will give you, and that is the word surrendered. When we look over the next six weeks through the story of Elijah, you will see again and again a man who is surrendered. A man who is surrendered to the voice of God and the will of God. A man who is surrendered in such a way that wherever God sends him, his life is, is, there's always a yes on the table. There's never bargaining with God. There's never yes, but. There's always a surrendered life. And, and there, there came a point, you'll see this in a couple of weeks to three weeks, there came a point where he got down and he got discouraged. And God had to confront him and say, what are you doing here? What's happening in your life? And he recognized in that time that he wasn't surrendered to the Lord. Listen to me. Brian Paulus said, said this. He said, God can, listen, this is so good. He said, God can do more with one person who is 100% surrendered than he can do with a thousand people who are 99% surrendered. Just takes one. You know why Elijah was such a prominent prophet in the Old Testament and still talked about even today? He is 100% surrendered, not 99%. Do you know when revival will come to our church? Do you know when revival will come to your life? When there is this fresh surrender to God. God can do more to bring revival with one person 100% surrendered than He can do with thousands of people 99% surrendered. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God started revival at Mount Airy? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God started revival in your life? I'm praying that the prophet will speak to us today. I'm praying the prophet will speak to us this summer. We desperately need a prophet. Let me remind you one more time. God always sends the prophet before he sends judgment. He always sends a man of God to speak the word of God. to Give us another chance to surrender. I pray that you will. I pray that we will. Let me pray with you now. Father, I thank you for the word of Elijah, the example that he left, the legacy that lives on. But we know it's not because of him, but because of you working in him and working through him. And God, I pray for fresh surrender. I pray for an obedient spirit in my heart and in my life. 
that I would be absolutely 100% surrendered to you. Surrendered in every area. Surrendered every day. Surrendered every place I find myself. I pray for your hand to be on me and your hand to be on this church. I pray you'd begin to do a work in us during these summer months that we could not explain except for the gracious hand and powerful hand of God. And I pray we'll be able to track it back to that time when we decided to obey. We decided to surrender. And I ask that in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.